Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Today, friends, we have another exciting pair of guests on our podcast today. They are running for office under the Socialist Party. So we're going to talk about the exciting campaign they have ahead of us today. So welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Let us get started by you both kindly giving us an introduction to yourself. First, by starting, give us your names and tell our audience, they're in suspense, what party you represent. My name is William Stodden, and like Stephanie, I represent the Socialist Party USA. Uh, this is the party of Eugene Debs, Norman Thomas, and several other luminaries throughout the 20th century of the United States. It was initially founded as an outgrowth of the labor movement. Uh, Eugene Debs, if you'll recall, was a labor organizer in the late 19th century and in the early 20th century. And then the Socialist Party was founded in 1901. Uh, it proceeded to um, uh, it proceeded to uh, run candidates and everything like that. You know, in 1920, for example, Eugene Debs was uh, was running. Uh, campaign from the United States Federal Penitentiary in Atlanta, where he got over one million votes. Uh, and so that's the legacy that we've inherited uh, in the Socialist Party USA. And like that, we stand for a lot of the same things that the Socialist Party has stood for for a very long time. Awesome. And you, Stephanie? Yeah, my my name's Stephanie Chalinski. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I've been in the Socialist Party um, I'm getting some, is anyone else hearing that? Hello? Go ahead. I just, yeah, I had to mute Andrew. Go ahead. We got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I can start over. I'm, I'm not sure what, what that was, but, um, yeah. Um, so my name is Stephanie Chalinski. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I have been in the party, uh, the socialist party, USA for over 20 years. I started out in um, the Young People's Socialist League, uh, otherwise known as YPSL, um, and I did some organizing in Denver. I helped form a local there. Um, I also have worked in Minnesota and formed uh, locals here where I'm at now in Minneapolis twice, and um, I helped build the Northern Piedmont local in North Carolina. I've been involved in... um, many campaigns, mostly for a local office. Um, I've, I've volunteered on many presidential campaigns, but although this is my first time as a candidate, and um, I've also served on the National Committee of the Socialist Party USA, and I have served as co-chair. We might need to unmute. Thank you, too, Thank you too for those that introduction. Let us talk about your campaign and your party. So kindly give us an overview of first what the party stands for in general and also what your specific campaign platform is. Okay. Um, I, I might be able to give like an <clears throat> overview of, a, of the party and Bill can go into a little more details about our campaign, if that sounds good. Sure. So um, the Socialist Party USA um, is 
one thing that distinguishes us is we are an independent socialist party. We, we run um, candidates independent of the two capitalist parties, namely Democrats and Republicans. Um, we are also a multi-tendency party and um, we are a socialist feminist party. So we we're, um, it, it, we practice intersectional socialist feminism. Um, and we are also uh, grassroots based rather than top down. Um, our, our party is local based. Um, and all these are reasons um, the Socialist Party USA was the party I joined. My personal, um, I guess, political philosophy you might categorize as um, anarcho-communism or anarcho-socialism. Okay. I'm also a socialist feminist. Um, but we have uh, socialists of all stripes in our party as long as they agree to the statement of principles. Um, you And you do not work with the Democrats. You can be a member of the Socialist Party USA. Uh, our our campaign specifically is running uh, for a number of reasons. We were charged by our convention primarily to run a campaign aimed at um, aimed at drawing attention to socialism, to the Socialist Party uh, and our part in the socialist movement in the United States, as well as to sort of I don't know if you'd say protest or trying to challenge the duopoly in this country, uh, which which is controlled by the Democratic and the Republican Party, who we argue are both capitalist parties, and there's really not a whole lot of difference between them. I always say the Democratic Party is like the head, the heads of a penny, and the Republican Party is the tails of a penny, and there's about a penny's worth of difference between the two of them. Uh, but we're not, we don't support that duopoly. We're running as a sort of a challenge to that. We're not under any kind of uh, delusion that we're actually going to you know, get, uh, you know, over 200 electoral college votes necessary to obtain the presidency, but that's not really what we're working on here. We're working to uh, raise awareness about socialism. We're working with other socialist parties and other leftist parties in general in opposing the Democratic Party and what they're trying to do in this country and to raise awareness and bring awareness about socialism to people so that maybe we'll do pretty good this election but maybe next time we'll do even better and maybe next time we'll do even better and get into a mode where people are actually thinking about socialists uh socialism as an alternative to capitalism in this country rather than uh just something that's on the fringe that nobody really pays any attention to so our goal you know primarily is to educate people about socialism to agitate and get people excited about socialism and to organize people around socialism and socialist ideas, socialist uh, policies and socialist preferences to get people to come out and begin start supporting socialism uh, rather than, you know, just, you know, basically, you know, claiming socialism, then going and voting for the Democrats. Yeah. And I've been long game. I, I really think we have a great opportunity now with, um, I mean, there, there's so many reasons this campaign is important. Um, Obviously, we're dealing with a, an ex, existential threat with climate change. We're, we're also seeing um, threats to the basic institutions of, I don't want to say democracy, because um, democracy is a very strong word for what we have in the U.S. We, we have more of a oligarchy of the wealthy. Um, but Americans are increasingly disillusioned with both parties. And, you know, why shouldn't they be? What have they ever done to, to actually de deliver on their promises to help working people. 
um, the Democrats and Republicans, they may differ on wedge issues, but when it comes to when it comes down to it, they are pro-capitalist, pro-imperialist parties. And that's always where they're they're gonna come down. And you know, if they can do a little um like have a little rainbow flag here or you know, stick up for someone's rights there, they they might do that. It's usually just pandering and it never, ever leads to any systemic change. Systemic changes always come from grassroots organizing and especially labor power as well. Um, so, you know, if if we're not going to make a stand for a better world now, I, my, my question is just, you know, when are we going to do it? When are we going to do, is it when the oceans are, are poisoned and the forests are gone and, and the earth is practically unlivable and we've driven so many species to extinction. I mean, you know, we're, we're running out of time here and neither party offers any real solutions. They 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 just get mired up in these culture wars. And that, that doesn't mean things like trans rights don't matter. They're they're vital. Um, we don't trust the Democratic Party to actually stick up for them, however, because they never have. And it's always been a, a tool for them to um, basically pander to get votes. Sure. So it sounds like you're playing the long game and you don't want to cave into the concession makers that are ruling the day. That's right. This is, you know, socialism right now is, you know, when people think of socialism in the United States, they think of someone like Bernie Sanders or AOC. Yep. And Bernie Sanders and AOC both vote with the Democratic Party on a regular basis. Uh, we can't really yep. call them socialists because those people, even, you know, as they as they have won some some electoral success, they've never ever you know advocated for nationalization of healthcare, for example, which would dramatically you know, improve healthcare uh, options for people, especially the poor and the working people in this country who have to pay through the nose for health insurance. It's really kind of uh, generic and useless. If you talk about the Green New Deal or something like that, what you're really doing is talking about the federal government subsidizing private capital. Uh, basically continuing the socialization of profit and the privatization of risk in this country. We're certainly opposed to that. And uh, one thing we've come up with as an idea, one of the ways we can solve a lot of these problems is just by nationalizing the Fortune 500, just going straight down the list. Just, wow. you know, and, 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 and talk and 500 companies right there who are responsible for, you know, a tremendous percentage of the wealth that's generated in this country, nationalize those things and hand them over to the workers. Or if we decide that a hedge fund isn't really of any value to society, has no social value, just basically nationalize it, expropriate the property and, and divide it up amongst the workers that used to work there. Uh, I think that a lot of the problems that are caused by this in this country are caused by these big industries that uh, that just are able to operate with complete impunity. And if we were to go right down the list and just take care of that, we could solve a lot of problems just by stopping people who are hurting the environment or promoting uh, division in our society or keeping people poor. Uh, we could stop them from doing that, which would in and of itself lead to a dramatic increase in the quality of life for working people in this country. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. And, and what we offer on the ballot is a choice. Um, neither neither party, neither the Democrats or Republicans offer that choice because they're they're at the end of the day they're capitalists um they're not going to they, they do not want a fundamental transformation of the economy like we do they do not want this economy to be run for and by the working people 
They want an oligarchy. They want the status quo. And no matter how much they talk about change or revolution, um, I mean, that's why people like Bernie Sanders, um, they, they twist the word socialism into meeting like a less evil version of capitalism. And what you end up with is that's that's what people think our options are. We either have, you know, capitalism with absolutely no limits or we have some limits on capitalism and maybe a welfare state that, you know, where we have to fight tooth and nail just to get our our basic needs met. We want a, we want an economy that actually serves humanity and all of humanity, not just a, a few at the top. And that, you know, that is something we could do. There's no good reason it shouldn't be that way other than that's the status quo. And of course, it, it is very hard to get to that because um, the people at the top are not going to give up this power um, easily, obviously. Um, and that, that's why we need to build a mass movement. That's the only way we can do this. That's the only way working people have ever gotten rights and a better life. Okay. That gives a good overview of your perspective. So in 2023, what are the main issues that you are hoping to address that you think would make the biggest difference in moving the ball forward in your direction of socialism? Well, we think it's very important to have socialized ownership of huge sectors of the economy, if not the entire economy. And what we mean by socialized ownership is we mean not just some, you know, overarching, you know, oppressive state apparatus, but we're actually talking about economic democracy, where if you take any company, let's take, okay. for example, Amazon, they have hundreds, you know, they have thousands of workers at, at Amazon. Let's take any given Amazon plant. Why shouldn't the workers there have a say in not only how the uh, how that operation is run? Those are the people that have the most knowledge with how the operation is run because they're the people who are on the floor actually operating the machines. It's not the work. Yeah. It's not the bosses in some office building in some faraway city that that know how that. Uh, warehouse works it's the workers so the workers should have a say in control and how that how that thing works but not only that but also workers should have the opportunity to reap the benefits of their labor and share in the profits of that company so we're talking about socializing huge chunks of the economy and i think that's one of the 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 first and foremost uh uh proposals that we would promote uh, on this campaign of socializing uh, and nationalizing large portions of the economy. Uh, like I said, it wouldn't be a top-down type of thing. It wouldn't be this oppressive state bureaucracy. It would be the workers themselves deciding how they want to run the company and how much they want to work for, what their benefits and their compensation should be, and what the benefits and the compensation of their managers should be. Uh, the workers outnumber the bosses. They should all have a vote. That's, that's called economic democracy. Uh, other things like promoting... Uh, environmentalism and conservation in our in our society where we could develop a sustainable use of our natural resources in this country in a way that don't deplete the national natural resources and in a way that doesn't pollute the atmosphere and the and the groundwater and the land uh, to utilize those those resources and things like uh you know we're going to be talking about uh like woke capitalism a little bit later on but we also want to promote a radical form of equality where there aren't these arbitrary differences between individuals that determine their position and their their relative access to power in the society where everybody as you can see I'm a, a, a white man a straight white man everyone should have the same rights as I do uh, it doesn't matter what their what their uh, arbitrary status is uh, whether they're black whether they're female whether they're 
you know, uh, uh, rich or poor, they should all have exactly the same uh, rights and privileges in the society from a political and a social perspective as I do, who is cons widely considered to be on the top of the social hierarchy in this country. Uh, and so I would I would say that's another uh, big thing that we can actually advance right now on the campaign trail here in 2023 and then later on in 2024. Yes, and uh, good. another aspect of our platform and what we offer is anti-imperialism. Both Bill and I, okay. the party itself, is staunchly anti-war, staunchly anti-imperialism. We, we want to close all U.S. military facilities at home and abroad. We, we want um, an end to our um, weapons of mass destruction and um, nuclear arsenal. Um, obviously, we, we support um, the uh, sovereignty of Palestine and oppose um, the apartheid state of Israel. Um, we, I mean, right now we, we live in a system not only of wealth inequality domestically, but massive wealth inequality worldwide. Um, and that, that's one reason I don't support a uh, welfare state because it really, um, nations that have these these capitalist welfare states are able to maintain them because they rely on that wealth inequality. They rely on exploit uh, exploiting primarily the global south for profit. Um, so, and you know, a lot of people ask, "How do you pay for this?" It's it's very easy to pay for this when you look at what we spend on um, on on our military, even on on foreign military aid. Um, our, our recent study showed that the U.S. funds 72% of uh, military funding, this is, the U.S. sends military funding to 72% of the world's dictatorships. Now tell me, how, how does a country that does something like that um, defend itself as a guardian of democracy? Of course, the socialists have an answer for that. We've, we've never seen um, the United States as a guardian of democracy. It's always been a guardian of and, and fought for the working class or sorry, the owning classes, the working class fights in these imperialist wars while the owning classes profit. And we want to break up that that war industry that has caused just horrendous amounts of suffering and inequality. So um, we're for economic democracy and anti-imperialism, anti-war peace. Um, the, these are some of the biggest um, threats to humanity. These are some of the biggest um, causes of suffering um, in the world. And unfortunately, the U.S. is um, very complicit and the cause of a lot of this misery. And we we demand a system that we can be proud of, a, a, a democratic system um, that doesn't rely on exploitation and violence to exist. That sounds good. That sounds good. That was a good overview of the platform you have. So one time a guest of ours mentioned a theory I never heard before. He said a main reason we have ballot access is in reaction to the Red Scare. They didn't want the, the leftists, the socialists, the communist type parties to be on the ballot. So have you ever heard of that? And also in regards to this election, what are the ballot access issues you have to overcome to get onto the ballot? Um. I could answer a little bit of that. I, I hadn't heard it referred to as specifically with regard to the Red Scare because our ballot access problems have been going on uh, much longer than, you know, there's been really Red Scares in this country. Uh, it, it's always been a way for uh, elites to ensure that they have the ability to 
narrow the choices down to uh, two and only two uh, legitimate or quote-unquote legitimate options uh, for voters to choose from, you can look at okay. things like uh, you can look at uh, stuff where they uh, in the past where they they talk about uh, you know single member districts. It, there's no law that says that there has to be single member districts. You know you can make a state uh, with three uh, three uh, congressional districts. You can make that in a large state if you want and have three different congressional uh, representatives selected however you want. That's not necessarily in the Constitution that, that it has to be single-member districts. But our system, which is largely single-member districts, has been decided that way because they want to make sure that the uh, the elections usually produce something like a majority or if not a majority, at, at least a plurality, simply because uh, that's, that's the best way, that's the easiest way for elite parties to remain in power. Uh, one of your previous shows uh, that I had listened to that I had mentioned earlier talked about changing the Electoral College to have uh, basically proportional representation at the state level. Uh, this, this might be a good idea, uh, and this might actually help with ballot access because then states wouldn't necessarily have so, such an incentive to limit the ballot access. But you could see going into a system like that that parties would fight tooth and nail to protect the system as it is to protect the primary uh the primary and the caucus system as it exists because that guarantees that they will be on the ballot and third parties like the socialist party usa will stay completely off the ballot and certainly parties that can can mount a much more serious threat to the domination of the democratic and republican parties like for example the greens or the libertarian party on on either side uh, will stay completely off the ballot so there's not a lot of incentive. This is a, a, a ballot access question. There's not a lot of incentive for the people that hold all of the power to change the system in a way that would allow smaller parties to effectively uh, compete in elections and potentially represent larger swaths of the population in a genuinely democratic government or a genuinely democratic election, uh, which is one of the reasons why I say in the United States we have something more along the lines of a formal democracy rather than a substantive democracy, a democracy that's just a, that just looks like a democracy but isn't ever really a democracy and has none of the uh, substantive characteristics of a, dom- of a democracy. Yes, and um, ballot, like you mentioned, ballot access laws are used to prevent third parties from um, winning elections, even you know being able to participate in elections, which is incredibly undemocratic. Um, here in Minnesota, we uh, were—I um, don't want to say fortunate enough because it was not fortunate; it was a lot of hard work. Uh, we were um, able to get three socialist party members elected to local office within the last couple of years, and the primary response seemed to be not to, you know, look at our policies, see why our candidates are so successful, despite all the hurdles that we have to overcome to even get on the ballot, much less win. The the response was to um, make sure that it's even harder for third parties to get on the ballot or win elections, which shows that, you know, the the focus is not on democracy. The focus is on power. Um, And and that's why we have these crazy gerrymandered districts. And it's not just the Republicans. The Democrats do it too. They they are definitely all about restricting third parties from um, getting on the ballot and winning elections. Um, and of course, it's gotten worse now with um, Citizens United and other campaign finance laws. Um, there's so, so much dark money 
being poured into these elections that um, uh, there was one study that that showed recently public opinion has very little effect on policy, but what um, the 1% wants, and especially what they fund, is a uh, much greater, uh, um, it fits much greater to what is actually passed. So we want public um, financing for candidates for office, um, as you know, for, for all candidates, not just uh, the two parties. We want to limit uh, how much personal um, financing people can do for their campaigns because that obviously gives the wealthy an unfair advantage and politicians by and large are the wealthy right now. I mean, um, just look at the U.S. House and Senate. It's almost all millionaires, even some billionaires. And that is not representative at all of the U.S. And, um, you know, even even a billionaire with the best intentions, which I, I I can't imagine what that would be like, but let's just say that was a thing. Um, they, they are not going to be able to accurately and properly represent their constituents that are working class because they just do not live in that same world. Um, but... Um, ultimately, we, we understand that um, th this campaign is a strategy to spread class consciousness, um, to build um, knowledge on what socialism is, to refute all the ridiculous things that um, Americans believe about socialism. Um, but we do understand that real change for the working class does not come through the, the ballot box. The ballot box is okay. To get there, but um, it it will never we we will never vote socialism into office. It's just um, th those in power would never allow that. Um, whenever leftist groups have uh, gained some traction, um, they are always met with violence. We suspect that if um, we were to actually threaten those in power um, with a with a different form of government, even if we uh, want to institute this democratically, I do not suspect they would allow that to happen, um, which is why it's so important for us to build a mass movement, because we know that they they will try to crush us and um, ultimately they will fail. We Capitalism will fall. It is an unsustainable system. The question is not whether we will continue to be capitalist, but what will come next and if we will um, still be around to see what mm. next. So if you don't think socialism will come to the ballot box, how do you see it coming into power? In a word, revolution. Uh, we can, you know, we can decide whether or not the revolution will be violent or not. But at the end of the day, the choice for violence always comes from the uh, the people with the power. The people who don't have the okay. power uh, are not the people that ever start violence. We can either have sure. change. Uh, you know, I mean, I always point to the to the idea that this uh, you know, this this fellow's a liberal. John John F. Kennedy said, you know, it's a very useful statement, even if I don't necessarily agree with anything else he believed. But that those who make you know peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And like you know, it, 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 we can make a change. The change is going to need to be made. The change needs to be made right now. The change needs to be made yesterday. Uh, we can have that change through peace, uh, peaceful means, and the society can can change into a way that's more sustainable for you know the rest of us, not just for the few of us who are currently benefiting from the system. Or you know they they'll bring the violence to us when we start demanding things and 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 everything like that. And at the end of the day, you know people can only get pushed around for so long. Uh, eventually, something's going to happen. Something's going to snap in this country, and then the, it's going to be 
a really radical thing that the status quo can no longer uh, sustain itself. And like Stephanie said, the, the, the decision is not, the question is not whether or not change is going to happen. Change is going to happen. It's going to happen, guaranteed. The question is whether or not it will look like something that benefits society or something that looks more like fascism. And right now, with the left being as disorganized as it is, and you know, continuing to believe that Joe Biden is a, a reasonable alternative uh, to you know Donald Trump, that which is just a ridiculous idea in my idea in my head. As long as the left continues to yeah. put their their ducks in in the row behind the Democrats, uh, we're we're going to have fascism. That's going to be the result. So what we need to do is we need to go out and make whatever difference we can right now using whatever methods we possibly can elections being one of them uh you know running for president is one of the methods that we have unionization uh having teach-ins having sit-ins having you know joining other adjacent movements and, and working with them to to get the word about socialism out uh doing whatever we possibly can uh to ensure that fascism is not the result of the inevitable change which is on its way uh, I think that's that's going to happen. Revolution is on, is on its way, and we don't really like if we continue to do what we're going to do. It's just going to hasten it along. So, if you don't want that violent revolution, maybe you ought to support socialism and try to make that peaceful change where people start taking their their own lives into their own hands, taking control of their own futures, and uh, and not putting up with this system anymore. Yeah. yeah. And that, that is a big motivating factor for me because I, I do not want violence. I know what that who is going to be hurt most by this violence. I mean, obviously, we, we do not expect to go one-on-one, toe-to-toe with the U.S. military and win. That's not how this works. Our, our, the workers' power has always been in with whether they um, withhold their labor in striking, in, in um, general strikes and direct action um, and collective bargaining. Um so we, we can leverage that for change, but um, when we do, when we have, it's always been that with violence. And, and even though we might not want, not want that, we should be prepared for that. And um, and Bill is right that it, it's a sad time that um, we will we will see this change. Um, and we do see the threat that instead of going the um, the way towards peace and egalitarianism, we, we could see a more fascist revolution. Um, and it, it's one reason the Democrats really, they just do not have any answers. They, they do not have, um, the right has been leaning into this far right populism as a way to, um, I mean, they don't offer any real answers to our problems, but um, they at least speak to a lot of people's anger and their worst tendencies. Um, and the left is so fractured and so weak right now that, because the Democrats in the end, centrists never oppose fascists, especially when they get power. Um, they, they will always fall in line behind the fascists. Historically, that's been true. Um, and Democrats, even now, even with the fascists, um, at least the, the farthest of the right, not um, holding complete power, they will always side with the right over, they would they, they would always rather have fascism than communism, because at the end of the day, they are capitalists. I mean, if I could say one thing about the Democratic Party, at the end of the day, they are capitalists. They're going to be capitalists. I wouldn't expect them to ever be anything else but capitalists. So if you do not want capitalism, do not support the Democratic Party. You're not going to bring them over. It's just not how it works. And you will use all your energies in um, towards trying to make a change into reforms that 
ultimately don't accomplish much of anything, unfortunately. So my my, chan, my plan, personal plan for revolutionary change does not require converting 7 billion people to every aspect of my ideology. I realize that's not realistic. Um, and that's one reason I'm part of a multi-tendency party because um, if we're gonna have a working class um, party, we need a, um, the working class is multi-tendency. So we need a multi-tendency party. We need to work together around our common goals, not, uh, a single strict ideology. I, I I really grow tired of the cynicism that has um, taken root in in the revolutionary left. Um, I, I think we need to be realistic, but um, you know I, we can't just throw up our hands and give up. This this is the fight of our lifetimes. This is the fight for humanity itself. Um, and as long as the left wastes wastes our um, time and effort tearing each other down and arguing about you know whatever historical points, not that these points don't matter, but, you know, if, if we don't work together, the right will destroy us. So, um, you know, I, I really do want to build a, a working class movement of people of all sorts of anti-capitalist, socialist, Marxist, anarchist ideologies. And I, I get laughed at for this. And it's not because I, I don't understand the differences between these ideologies. I just think it's to the point that if we're not going to work together now, when are we going to do it? I mean, ultimately, we want the same thing. We might disagree on how to get there, but we want a classless, stateless society. We want a, a revolutionary system that is completely divorced from the capitalist system. And I'm willing to work um, with anyone who um, is willing to do that, you know, uh, as, as long as they're not like bigots or, you know, some other counter-revolutionary aspect of their ideology um and there's so many people that want this right now especially among young people we have such an opportunity and i think we can do it i know we can do it um whether we will you know it's it's really it's in our hands now and that's i, I realize that's a, a big responsibility it, it weighs on me I, i'm sure as it does bill um but you know we, we can do this we can build this better society um people before us have have unionized and drastically improved the conditions of working people. Um, people yep. have abolished oppressive systems and um, we, we can do this. It's just, we have to build the movement and do the work. And I just want to add one yeah. thing to what Stephanie said real quick. If you seek reform through the democratic party or through the current capitalist system, all you're ever going to do is create systems that actually reinforce capitalism. That's how it works. Capitalism yeah. will twist every single thing to its own service. Uh, and it's, it's not some individual behind the screen pulling the strings. That's just, it's basically like putting the cart before the horse. If you, if you create reforms within capitalism, capitalism is going to take those reforms and use it to serve itself. A good example of that is Social Security. Now, Social Security is the fifth rail of American politics, but even conservatives like Social Security because it helps it helps people of a, of a specific age. That's a That was a universal social reform that was preferred by the Socialist Party that the Democratic Party brought into it to neutralize socialism, to neutralize any call for social reorganization of the society or social revolution in the 1930s. FDR specifically adopted that one because the, the capitalist system can accommodate that. And the capitalist system did accommodate that. So social security then is used to buy off workers and to get them tied to the capitalist system. Because now if you lose your job, you don't get social security anymore. If you lose your job and you're unemployed, the amount of social security you're entitled to once you 
once you actually quote unquote hit retirement age, if that's even a realistic possibility anymore, is so low. So you actually got to work for a job for a specific number of years and make a specific amount of money to have any kind of uh, hope for Social Security at the end of your working life. Uh, that's that's an example of how reforms are co-opted by capitalism. You talk about you know feminism and 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 even civil rights uh, movements. Those things are used by the capitalist parties now to get votes for the capitalist parties. They're not used to liberate anybody. They're they're saying you know if you don't vote for the Democratic Party, you're going to lose your right to have an abortion. Well, I mean, the Democratic Party got elected in in a lot of different ways, and the women still lost their right to have an abortion. Uh, that that's an example of a reform that was that was brought about before capitalism was abolished. It's used basically to reinforce capitalism in this country and to neutralize any call for social change. And so you have to have a social revolution. You have to have that. That's a necessity necessary thing, and reforms can be part of that but it can't exist apart from social revolution. You actually have to have a radical social reorganization of society for those reforms to stick and actually mean something in someone's life. If you were talking about, I'm sorry, you say something, Stephanie? Oh, you could go ahead. Since you're talking about how capitalism twists these reforms, one of the big things that's happening these days is what people call woke capitalism. And that gets to your idea of how things like transgender or civil rights things, all corporations are all over the place in, form, in, in favor of these progressive ideas. I worked for one of the Fortune 500 companies and the CEO of all people said she supported Black Lives Matters. In, in the past, you typically didn't hear that type of thing where the, the CEOs were more overtly conservative. They wouldn't dare criticize police. And I found that I unionized my corporation, and I found that was the one thing they would not tolerate is union. They would tolerate transgender, they translate different religions, different races, criticism of police, but not unionism. So kindly speak to how your party is approaching something like woke capitalism that is so slippery and prevalent these days. Well, we're opposed to capitalism. So you got to remember the reason why a company could support something like Black Lives Matter or, you know, transgender rights or why Target, for example, could have a rainbow flag celebration where they, you know, promote uh, specific identity politics that, that that are prevalent in our society is because it doesn't actually threaten their economic uh, security. Uh, okay. They're actually looking to uh increasing the base of people who are uh, willing to go and shop at Target. So, for example, if I'm a Target CEO, it doesn't cost me any money at all, well, with the possible exception of the radical uh, right who is opposed to uh, wokeness, claiming that they're not going to shop at Target anymore. Like, really, I mean, that's that's not even realistic because they're not completely on board with that on the radical right just because target has a rainbow uh flag celebration or something like this where they're they're highlighting what they call gay rights they're basically just trying to get gay people who identify with the rainbow flag to come into the target and spend their money it doesn't cost them any money to do that it they actually are opening their store up to to more populations but it it's possible. I mean, this is a crazy idea. It's possible that those gay couples that, that they're promoting, uh, you know, the rainbow flag to and saying, look, now we're open to gays and everything. We're already shopping at Target. 
So it's not really making yeah. that much of a difference. And it certainly isn't making any difference in society. Uh, it isn't empowering anybody for target to promote uh, what, what, what I like to term woke capitalism. It doesn't, it doesn't actually help anybody uh, be empowered. It just, you know, lets everybody know that target now has a rainbow flag on it and they're going to continue to exploit their workers. They're going to continue to exploit their suppliers, uh, the people that they buy clothes from uh, who are making sense on the dollar in sweatshops in foreign countries. They're going to continue to exploit those people. Uh, they're just going to exploit them now to uh, also the gay community uh, or the trans community or whatever, whatever you want to say. It doesn't cost the company anything to take a stand on social issues. And it, it really just increases uh, their profitability, uh, if anything. And so woke capitalism, we oppose woke capitalism because we oppose capitalism. It doesn't change anything. Uh, it doesn't make anyone's life better. It doesn't, it certainly doesn't empower any of their workers, uh, to, to take a stand, which kind of explains why you're the CEO you're referring to is all about, you know, what identity politics, you know, all about transgender rights, LGBTQ positive, everything like that. Uh, but still against unions because unions actually might threaten their bottom line exactly it, it, it for them it, it really is just pandering and I, I i i've made pains to explain to people um because there there are many um legitimate criticisms of um the kind of fem like the kind of mainstream feminism and those criticisms are not that the problem is not the feminism part it's the, the liberal identity politics part so, so we are not, um, we are obviously not liberals and we are not for um, their version of identity politics. We are um, intersectional socialist feminism where we see how um, capitalism, um, I mean, they, they divide workers against workers. They, they've done this for, for always. I mean, all oppressive um, regimes have. Um, they, they have... Um, divided us with sexism, racism, homophobia, transformism, ableism, ageism, nationalism, every variety of bigotry. Uh, we, we, do not, we do not need another reason for working people to fight amongst each other. We need to fight for each other and we all face um, different forms of oppression, but ultimately we're oppressed under the system of capitalism. Um, and corporations will enter to this, but they will never support any systemic changes that um, threaten their bottom line. And it is ultimately in their best power, in their best interest often to keep people um, fighting over these culture wars. That's why you've seen the, you know, both sides of, um, I don't want to say both sides because they're kind of the same side, but um, the Republicans and Democrats really love this culture war thing because um, they could pretend like they are not serving the same masters. But when you get down to it, um, look at who's funding both parties. I mean, they may differ on these wedge issues, but ultimately, as long as the wealthy stay wealthy and the workers stay exploited, they are happy. And if putting a rainbow flag on, um, you know, the orphing crushing machine makes a couple people happy and tricks them into thinking that, you know, spending money is the way to liberation or, you know, supporting the, the corporation that supposedly, um, you know, mirrors your values. They don't, they don't, but supposedly does because they, you know, slap a sticker on something, you know, that, that's not the way to change. And um, it's ultimately a distraction. It's, 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 Marx talked about how everything is commodified. Of course, of course, Black Lives Matter is going to be commodified. And then that is not a, a criticism black, of Black Lives Matter. That's just what happens under capitalism. They take everything and they make it meaningless and uh, find a way to sell it. 
and it's it's just a horrible and heartless system but there are alternatives and um, that's what we should look to and I, I hope people don't get too disillusioned by um well capitalism to actually understand that these forms of oppression oppression do exist and that we desperately need to fight them and fight um the ultimate economic system that allows them well i don't want to say allows them to continue because it's not there would still be forms of bigotry without capitalism but capitalism definitely um enables them and works to perpetuate them so so how are you reaching out to the voters supporters in this election what is your way to communicate with them and to connect with them well we're starting uh right now we're starting um doing primarily online stuff we don't have a lot of money uh it costs a lot of money okay. to be on tv and on the radio and in the press uh, but we do have uh, beginnings of a press strategy uh, with regard to, you know, reaching out to people where they're at. I, I think that one of the biggest, uh, you know, like the easiest things to, to create is memes. And memes is just another uh, new form of propaganda, essentially, where you are able to communicate a really complex idea uh, with a picture or some kind of cartoon or something like that. Uh, memes are, are, are kind of where it's at right now. Uh, they're easily distributable. They're very easy to produce, uh, and they actually pack a lot of meaning in a very, very uh, small package. Uh, we can do that. We can do that uh, for free with volunteer uh, work. And we are also creating a, a donation site where we are getting, trying to get out the message about getting ballot access. We're, we've identified uh, probably a dozen, maybe 15 states where it's it's going to be fairly easy, relatively speaking, to get onto the ballot. Uh, Utah being the first one of them, but we are also looking at, say, North Carolina. We're also looking at, you know, possib possibly uh, Georgia, maybe uh, uh, Iowa, uh, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, New Jersey, places like this where it's where it's going to be, relatively speaking, uh, low cost effort to get ballot access. You know, they require maybe three or four thousand signatures uh, per state, which we. You know, are raising funds to try to get to. But I think that we're using that to hopefully generate some momentum and some interest in the campaign um, at the very start. We're lucky in the in the sense that we have sort of a, a six or eight month head start on the national parties or the, the duopoly parties uh, in that they haven't picked their candidates yet. Uh, they won't do that formally until August of next year. So we have almost a 10 month head start on them in to try to catch up a little bit in areas where we actually can, you know, without expending a ton of money and without expending a, a ton of human resources. Uh, meanwhile, we'll also uh, continue to do uh, interviews like this. We'll also reach out to uh, party locals and local activists in relatively adjacent groups, student groups, um, uh, civic groups, things like that, people who are working on nonpartisan issues or ballot access issues to try to uh, to generate some uh, momentum for the campaign as well. Uh, in reality, I mean, we're not delusional. Of course, we're not crazy. This is not going to be an easy uh, slog to get votes in this country. But uh, the idea, of course, is to uh, the votes don't really translate into the amount of interest that we generate. Uh, hopefully we get people who are willing to join the party and work for the party uh, on socialist issues after the the campaign is, is over uh you know building websites and also building uh, activist networks and 
uh, connections with people that have experience in running campaigns so that while we might not do uh, incredible, uh, you know, uh, jaw dropping the incredible as possible, we could do that. But uh, while we might not, uh, you know, knock anyone's socks off with this campaign, hopefully we build a, a good solid foundation for the next four years so that when we hit the road again in four years and continue this fight, We'll have a much stronger national organization. We'll have a much stronger state and local organization. And we'll also have a, a very strong activist network who has a lot of experience running in state and local campaigns so that uh, when it comes time to run for president again, uh, we're not rebuilding the infrastructure. We're utilizing the infrastructure that we've already left in place. We're uh, taking people who have experience who are able to run campaigns and, and run a much more effective campaign uh, within four years uh, than even that we're able to do right now with almost complete volunteers. Um, and, and one thing I, I want to, well, a few things I'd like to add, um, you know, we, we are just getting started out. Um, we, we've just recently filed and, um, you know, we are, we are self-funded. Um, we, we don't get paid to do this and um, no one working for us uh other than um, the one staff member gets gets paid. So, um, and we're all working class people. So, you know, it is it is difficult. It shows how um, just just even to run, we're we're already facing so many other hurdles that um, wealthy people who are part of the mainstream political establishment do not face. Um, which you know, it's to be expected. But one one thing I think we can do is actually turn that system on its head because. Um, to run as a socialist, uh, I think we realize, like, even if we were to get elected, what would we do um, if we were elected? I mean, we were we are opposed to this capitalist imperialist system. Um, being the head of it um, would be, I, I, I don't know if you can actually dismantle it that way. Um, the the point is to nightmare. <laughs> yeah, um, like I think Bibi said, if he were to be elected, the first thing he would have to do is fire himself because you know what is he doing at the head of this this exploitive um you know machine but um so we we want to expose the contradictions within the system and um just one example like you know of course we have to we have to go and collect thousands and thousands of signatures which you know is a lot of work and it takes resources and volunteers that we could be using to actually campaign but you know now i have an excuse to knock on people's doors and talk to them about socialism you know and that's something I, I can't do normally, but when I'm a camp, when, when I'm a, um, part of a campaign or even when I'm a um, candidate, now I can. Now I, now I can walk up to anyone and, and have an excuse to talk to them about socialism, and I will. Um, and I hope, I hope we can build that into a movement that does lead to radical change. It, it won't, I, I really seriously doubt it's going to come from this campaign, but this is just one piece of the puzzle towards building um, a strong um, socialist movement in the U.S. And we have had it before. We can do it again. There's definitely a need for it. Um, and, you know, I, I really believe that if if we put the time and effort in and we offer people the one thing that neither party, neither the capitalist parties can offer, which is we have real solutions to the problems working class people are facing. We can answer these questions without avoiding them or scapegoating some minority to try to distract from the everyday life that working class people are, are facing. And, um, you know, it, we have many challenges. One of them is that Americans generally don't have a great understanding of socialism, um, but that that's all the more reason, you know, I, I really like to get out there and, and just get some people to listen to me. And I, I think if 
if they hear what we're actually talking about, they're going to realize that when um, CNN and Fox News cover socialism, what they're talking about is not what we are. We've we've been drastically misrepresentative. We are not socialism is not you know anything the government does or taxes or you know whatever they, they say. Um, and I think we can build a movement um, out of the fact that both parties have failed to properly represent what working people need. Um, and I, I really am so fortunate to have so many great volunteers to do it with. And um, if I, I strongly encourage any, anyone out there to look at our statement of principles uh, and think about these issues. You might not agree with us on everything, but you, you very well may agree with us on um, the path that we're going. And um, to me, you know, joining the Socialist Party and being part of so many campaigns, um, including, you know, this one, uh, has been such a rewarding experience because, you know, you're bombarded by just the news and the way things are and the way things have gotten worse and the way people are suffering every day on the news. And to me, just being able to get up and work on this campaign or work towards um, building the Socialist Party, it, it really gives my life meaning because I, I know that I'm doing something to at least help people and change the way things are. So if, if you're feeling... Um, disillusioned and hopeless, I strongly encourage you, you, know, you don't have to get in our, involved in our campaign or even our party, but, you know, look around locally, who needs help? Where can you be of help? There's so much you can do, you know, even if you don't have a great background in, um, you know, political economy, uh, you know, meet up with some people that really are trying to make a difference. And um, I, I guarantee you it is, um, you will be paid back um, all the effort you put put in twice fold because it, it really is rewarding work. So how can our audience connect with your campaign? You were mentioning a website. How can they connect with you? So the, the easiest way is to just go at SPUSA, that Socialist Party USA, at SPUSA 2024. We're there everywhere. Uh, socialistpartyusa2024.org is our website and right now that points to our donation site but we are within the next couple of weeks uh, going to have our full website launched uh, which will have uh, uh, position statements from Stephanie and I uh, platform you know other things other links to other activists and other organizations that, that people can get involved with and we'll also link back with the Socialist Party USA itself uh, SPUSA 2024 is where we're at everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, you name it, we're there. So uh, okay. once we once we get that website launched, you'll definitely be able to check out uh, written versions of what we just uh, told you here. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that's just the easiest way to do it. Just go at, at SPUSA2024 on your chosen social media platform. I don't think we have TikTok yet. Uh, I'm a little bit old uh, to know how to use that. But uh, I imagine that's probably in our future as well. So the SPUSA 2024 is where we're at. All right. All right. Well, thank you, too, for coming on the podcast today and talking about your campaign and your philosophy and your party. Oh, for sure. Thank you for having yeah. us. Yeah, it's, it's great to have this opportunity. We wish you all the best in your campaign and also in your personal professional life, everything you do. Thank you very much. Nice. Bye now.